Thinking about all the money we've got riding on late night. The last thing we need is a problem there. See, I don't have a contract with you. I can move Jay to CBS within a month. Have you seen this? I mean, this has to be Helen. Just, you know, I want to be able to swear to Johnny that this didn't come from us. So go ahead and swear. All we need to do now is get Jay signed. Keep him off CBS. Jay is the host. First week night after Carson's last show. No word of this leaves this room. Where does that leave us with letter? He can't do Here's Johnny. This is the last year that I'm doing the Tonight Show. Did you say Who's it going to be? Who gets the Tonight Show? Jay, one more year. NBC will announce that Jay Leno has been named the next host of the Dimension. Gentlemen, this is completely unacceptable. You already have a deal with Leno? It's the only dream of my own life. You can't just want it. You have to do something. Mike Owens. Was he trying to get strong? You have to hire God for that. We have worked out a career plan for David, securing everything for Dave he wants. You said you had this under control. Fuck you, Helen. What that shit? I don't respond well to threats. You do the fucking jokes. I run the fucking show. She is completely out of control. <laughs> How can we make him happy? He wants the connection. The guy seems to be totally dependent on her. Helen Quisnick got it. And she could lose the future. This is the best opportunity we have ever had to break NBC's stranglehold on Lake And there's enough animosity in this relationship to start a small war. Let me tell you where. I and me are bringing David. But I get the show, right? Who <laughs> the fuck are you to tell me what to do? Yeah, top 10 jokes that the NBC won't let us do. What can Holy hell is crazy. Who the hell do you think? Welcome to Small Screeners, where we talk about direct-to-video and made-for-TV movies. I'm Chris. I got AJ here with me as per usual. Say hello, AJ. What's up? And tonight we're going to be talking The Late Shift. This is uh, interesting because I believe this is the... Well, actually, this is not the first one we've done based on a true story. It's actually the second. But this one based on a book, uh, and it is... uh, Concerning the the sort of war for late night in the 90s after the retirement of Johnny Carson, which was a big deal in the 90s. Now, this is one that you zeroed in on, AJ. So what do you remember about this uh, this era and this movie specifically when it came out? Well, I mean, like you said, I remember in the early 90s when Johnny retired, and I think most people assumed Letterman was going to take it over, and then it went to Leno, and a lot of people were disappointed, and Letterman went to CBS, which was a big deal. I remember watching Letterman, or at least the first couple of years he was on CBS, and I never watched the Leno stuff for any mm-hmm. real length of time. I may have watched it for a minute to three minutes here and there, but I didn't. I hated that fucking thing. Yeah. So I remember being aware of it and was definitely watching some of it. Uh, and then the movie comes out, and I see the uh, the trailer for it on HBO. And you know, it's it's you get a look at Dan Roebuck in that Jay Leno makeup, <laughs> uh, which I guess won the Emmy or was nominated at any rate. And you're just like, oh, okay. And I see uh, John Michael Higgins playing David Letterman. And I, at that point, I have no fucking idea who John Michael Higgins is. I've never seen him in my life. And all I can think is he's kind of looking like Letterman. He's kind of getting a little bit of the mannerisms. And this again, this is all from the trailer. Yeah. And I'm like, but he just doesn't seem tall enough. And all of this is stuff that carries over into the movie for me. The makeup is, and I'm just going to say this at the outset, because... I feel it needs to be said. The makeup is both really well done. Like, I applaud the artistry. I can see it, and I'm like, wow, they did good. Mm-hmm. And it's deeply unfortunate <laughs> because it, it calls attention to itself. I don't know any way to do it that you don't make someone up if you want them to look like Jay Leno because no one but Jay Leno really fucking looks like Jay Leno. I don't yeah. know if you noticed. So you've got to add makeup, and it's it's – I mean, what do you think? I know we're just getting into the makeup right here at the get. We haven't even really <laughs> done anything, but I, I want to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that you- um, <laughs> I admire the. I mean, I guess if it, if it was dominated or whatever, good for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's distracting to me. That's and what I'm saying. That's it. There, there's like a plastic look to a lot of the features, which it probably is plastic makeup. There's definitely but, some uh, that, you know, uh, lost its life and the. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing i don't know how you light it you know what i mean because of the amount you're saying the amount of of sheer fucking volume of latex that must be applied to Mm -hmm. that man's face once that's there how do you light it but i guess 
I think what I was looking for is the word distracted. I was thinking mm-hmm. how it just calls attention to itself and you're constantly looking at it and you're constantly thinking, wow, did he like eight sitting in the makeup chair all that time? Because you're constantly thinking <laughs> about the makeup. It's constantly calling attention to itself. So that is distracting. You're not able to really always enjoy whatever's happening in the story or in the movie. And it's really hard to gauge his performance too, other than, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of hear him doing a Jay Leno. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's a really unfortunate for him because, you know, Daniel Roebuck plays uh, Leno, and I think he does a really good job in this. He, The voice is pretty close. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's a little over overboard at times. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's that's kind of how Jay talks. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think he's really, I think he's probably. It, it almost seems like Letterman is more of the main character. Yeah, and I, I do kind of sometimes think that Roebuck is probably doing the better job between the two leads. And I think Higgins is good too, but he's it seems to be playing it less like an impression, uh, whereas Roebuck is kind of doing a, an impression uh, yeah. of Leno a lot of the time. He is. Yes, and that's why probably I think I like Higgins more because I'm I feel more like I'm watching a guy mm-hmm. rather than I'm watching Jay Leno in air quotes, you know. But <laughs> I didn't watch the Jay do, Leno in air quotes or not. I mean, I don't think there's <laughs> any other way to watch Jay Leno. I think Jay Leno comes with air quotes fucking installed. He's always on when I see him on TV anyway. But I don't watch interviews with that guy. Now, had had, had you read this book? Or I'm assuming not, but... No, I have read the sequel because I was much more invested with the second go-round. Uh, this, same here, this initial, in, Yeah, this initial book is called The Late Shift, and then the next book covering the Leno-Conan Tonight Show debacle was called The War for Late Night. I really wish they would do that one, but I don't think they're going to. Yeah, same here. Uh, Conan has said that he's chosen who should play him and that it's Tilda Swinton. Yes. Uh, and apparently she has heard him say that and said she is down. I think that's like a long-running uh, gag that he thinks he looks like Tilda Swinton, so he <laughs> brings it up a lot. She could do it. Mm. I hey, trust him Tilda, man. If, any, if anyone could, it's fucking Tilda Swinton. But yeah, the the book I didn't read, and I still would like to read it because that the, the second one I read, and it was very good. And I, and I think it, it's interesting because it, it seems like the the way the second book is written, the way Bill Carter reported on it and gave it to us as a book, it feels like that must be what the first one is like because I can see how this movie and I want this is something I did want to say fairly early in the episode too. I see how it could bore the living shit out of some people mm, yeah. because it's it's all inside baseball. Mm-hmm. Like you basically, we don't really have to get into it. We're going to get into certain parts i'm sure in certain events that happen but what what we are dealing with here is just a non-fiction accounting nbc is trying to figure out what they're going to do when johnny goes and then oh do they kind of speed it up oh and then jay leno's there and then oh but they think that letterman should already have it he kind of assumes he's going to it just kind of goes along and you see how the backstage workings and agents and all the fucking suits from nbc and it doesn't they all have different names. I guess they're all different people. It really doesn't matter. So it can be kind of a lot of just like an info dump. You know what I mean? Yeah. And unless you have a, a propensity or are or, or interested in how these things do actually go down, I can see it just being really dry for a lot of people. It can be entertaining when Kathy Bates, who, like I mentioned, an, an agent, she shows up as the legendary Helen Kushnick, Leno's manager, uh, who was very well-known in Hollywood, if not much beloved, for being kind of like the live-action version of BB from Frasier. Do you know who I'm talking about? Most people um, <laughs> Which one is... I don't know that character from Frasier. Yeah, it's a sitcom Frasier, the, the old sitcom, not the new revival. Yeah. And it's his agent. She's a shark. Okay. And she's awesome. Yeah, I, mean, I anyway, remember Roz and Daphne, uh, but I don't remember that character, I don't think. That's okay. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's just, it's just kind of an inside baseball thing, I think. And unless you are interested in this kind of showbiz story or like the actors involved, some people I think just might tune out, you know, mentally. I mean, do you, uh, do you see what I'm saying at all? Or am I just like kind of yeah, talking out my ass like normally? <laughs> I think you're right. It's, it's really one of those, you know, it's a movie. It's not a movie about movies, but it's a movie about show business. So it's, if you're not interested in the behind the scenes stuff of how stuff like this gets made, you know, you're probably not going to be that interested, but I am. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So so I did find it pretty interesting, especially given that 
you know, like I also had read the Conan, the War for Late Night. Is that the name of the Conan Leno book? Yeah. I was going to ask you, did you read the first one? No, I've, I've never read the late shift. I read the Conan book because Conan is like my uh, late night host. Like he, yeah. he took his he took Letterman's place when I was 13 and I watched his first show and have been on board ever since. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Yeah, so I was much more I interested that. in that book when it came out. The stuff he did when he got the Tonight Show and realized they were going to take it away from him is some of the best. Oh yeah, most crazed late <laughs> night I've ever seen. Some of the best television yeah. I've ever seen. Right. But yeah, I, Conan is my Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I don't love Johnny Carson. I do, and I understand and respect the legacy and what Johnny means, and and just Johnny's talent and how great he was at hosting a fucking late night talk show. Not just that, how great he was at hosting the Tonight Show because. Yeah, did it for 30 years. I mean, he, Johnny Carson was the Tonight Show. Yeah, when I was growing up, he was, you know, still on the air until I was 12, I guess. And And so I think for a lot of people now, I just want to say that he was on the air when you were 12. (laughs) Okay. A lot of people now never even seen clips of Johnny Carson, dude. Right. And the Tonight Show, as this institution we are speaking of, and the things it means to someone like Letterman and what it doesn't mean to Leno, other than just a a high-profile gig, and Leno's just about the gigs. He's just a workhorse. That's what he wants. He just wants to get in front of people and tell jokes. That's all he ever yeah. wanted to do. I don't think he's particularly like evil. I, I don't think he's you a know, the, guy sometimes, but I, I think yeah. generally he just wants to tell jokes. Yeah, I've never liked Leno, and I really <laughs> hated him. <laughs> I really hated him during the Conan Tonight Show yes. debacle. But reading the book, the War for Late Night book, that one, it made him a little more sympathetic. Uh, even though I saying. still think he made the wrong some of the some bad decisions as far as yes. unfair decisions, he never wanted to give up that show to begin with. They kind of were yeah. trying to force him out. So yeah, um, like they did to Johnny. Johnny went ahead and went. Jay didn't want to do that. Yeah, but yeah, I um, mean, and so what I'm saying is all these things we're talking about. This conversation that we just kind of fell into right now because we give yeah. a shit about this stuff. And like we know we were there, uh, especially with all the Conan and Jay stuff. Like you have feelings about that. Like you're mad at Jay to a degree. I am too. One of the greatest things I ever saw was Jimmy Kimmel ripping him apart. Oh, yeah. That was gold. <laughs> that was because everything he said was true. You know, I promised this dude, you know, the job and then I fucking took it away from him almost immediately. You know, and it's like, yes, I was telling him, you know, but people like you and me. We get excited about this shit, and I wonder who – I wonder now who would watch this and care that's younger than 30. Oh, I, I mean, I, it would be a very niche. <laughs> yeah, it's people who have people. real showbiz yeah. interests, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Or and just want to watch everything. history of television and stuff like yeah. that. Because, I mean, I think Kimmel and well, – let's see, there's Kimmel. I don't even know who hosts the, uh, the CBS one now. Uh, Colbert. Uh, it's Colbert. I thought he had moved on to something else, but I guess he's still doing it. I thought he was. And then Val- Fallon is on The Tonight Show, which, I mean, oh, a lot of people God. hate Jimmy Fallon. I, you know, I kind of like it when he was on SNL. I think that is kind of a good place for Jimmy Fallon is is doing a talk show. I'll uh, admit, he thought he, he thought he was too fucking cute. I'll admit that. And he, he had way too much of a propensity to laugh at his own shit. Like I'm saying, he thought sure. he was really cute and he laughed at himself all the time. Mm-hmm. He thought what he was doing, like, I, I had a little stinker, you know, and so, <laughs> and that extended to him breaking up in sketches and, right. and all that shit. But all that said, I'm acknowledging that all of that is true. But Jimmy Fallon did make me laugh a lot of the time and I didn't hate him the way a lot of people did for all those reasons I just said. And then on top of that, I don't fucking think he's funny. Fuck that guy. I get that. But, I 100% agree with you. Let him do that kind of shit. I even liked that movie Fever Pitch. He did it with the Fairleys and Drew Barrymore. I didn't mind that movie. but I never saw that. I saw parts of Taxi. Or was it just called Taxi? Yeah, Taxi. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those two movies pretty much made it clear he wasn't going to have a big film no. career. So I like Fever Pitch, I think, because I like the stories. And, uh, the story, yeah, I've always thought I would probably like that one. I just never watched it. I like the story, and I was... I am not a Red, Fox, a Red Sox fan, but I was rooting for them against yes. the Yankees that year. Mm-hmm. And that I was really happy that they won it all after, you know, the drought and all that shit. So the movie is kind of cool in that sense. But as a as a talk show host, Jimmy Fallon is worse than fucking Jay Leno. And Jay Leno has never been particularly good. 
Jay Leno has never been particularly good. I don't give a shit how long he has been host of the or how long he was host of the Tonight Show. I don't care how many fucking people he has told jokes in front of. I don't care how many fucking comedians whom I love and respect as thinkers and as individuals, as intellectual people, apart from being very funny and clever and hilarious joke tellers, truth tellers, whatever you want to call it, they will a lot of them will tell you that one of the reasons why he was on Letterman a lot and why he was picked to be the Tonight Show shoo-in was apparently Jay Leno was thought of as one of the best comics in America. Very forward-thinking, very, not necessarily forward-thinking, but clever and good and just really good at being a stand-up comic. Not the hack that most of us see him as. And right. To be fair, with lots of experience under our belts to say so. Like, yeah. I saw him do these things, okay? I'm not making it up. Uh-huh. His jokes are shit. Well, All these people like, are telling me at one point he, they weren't. But Even I never if he saw was that a good comedian. If you're doing, I mean, his monologues were like 30 minutes long oh every God. night. Yeah, and it's like you can't do two and a half, you know, hours worth of material every week. That's it's not going to be good. That's all they wanted to do. Joke though. writers, you know, a lot of them, a lot of uh, those late night hosts do. I don't know if he did or not, but I'm sure he did. But uh, either, either way, I think that was in. The, the follow-up book where he just wants to read jokes people submit or write jokes himself. And that's all he really cares about is just getting up and telling jokes. And I mean, and that's admirable in its way, you know, just kind of the purity of the job and everything. But when your jokes suck, I can't really get behind it. I mean, like your work ethic, yes, I can applaud that. But the work itself got to be good, man. You know, going back to, to Carson – you know, the Tonight Show existed before Johnny Carson. There were a few hosts. Yes, it did. Uh, I will add that the reason we even talk about the Tonight Show today is because of Johnny Carson. Yeah, he's the one, you know, his run on it is what elevated it to, like, the premier nighttime show. <laughs> and, like, when I was a kid, I would watch Carson sometimes because my parents watched it. Because and I, and I think it was largely because the local station was NBC. So we would watch the night, the local news on NBC, and then Carson would come on. Once he left and Leno took his spot, that's just been all, like, as far as my family, that was always the station, like, late night show that they would watch. And it mm. was just like a, a habit. I think that's the way it was for a lot of, like, America, basically. Yeah. Like, you just watch whatever, you know, is after the local news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that kind of thing, the affiliates and the syndication and all that shit, that's all inside baseball that's in the book. Uh, at least this, the, the sequel, The War for Late Night. And they talk about all that stuff a bit in this one, a little bit about how, you know, they're not going to do this. The local syndicator or the local stations or the affiliates want to do that. You know, uh, this is kind of outside of this this particular movie. But I was uh, watching YouTube clips yesterday and I I came across one of my favorite Conan clips where he's in Houston, like two years into his run. Mm -hmm. And Houston doesn't air his show until like 2 (laughs) a.m. And so he's just going around talking to people to see if anybody recognizes him. <laughs> and uh, he gets into like this confrontation with this big, burly, probably drunk guy. <laughs> they calls himself Buffalo. <laughs> and uh, it's a really it's just a really funny clip. Look up Conan and Buffalo on YouTube okay. for more. Um, Will do. But yeah, that that There's um, a tip, listeners. Conan and Buffalo. <laughs> the details on this one. This is the late. Yeah, we're only twenty minutes in. <laughs> no, that's the late shift. Is a 1996 made-for-TV bio-comedy drama directed by Betty Thomas, written by Bill Carter and George Armitage, and starring Kathy Bates, John Michael Higgins, Daniel Roebuck, Bob Balaban, Rennie Santoni. Yeah. Uh, based on the book by Bill Carter. You have uh, to mention Tree Williams. Yes, Treat Williams also, yes. You have to mention I, I, I narrowed it down to those five because Balaban and Santoni, the NBC execs, are the ones who get the most yeah. uh, screen time, most doing most of the decisions. But yeah, Treat Williams comes in as Michael Ovitz, right? Is that his yeah. name? Super uh, agent Michael Ovitz. Yeah. And when he steps in, and it's it, it's perfect that they chose him because the usual Treat completely understands the assignment. Michael Ovitz is treated, the movie treats him like a movie star. Yeah, he's like you know, Pat Riley. <laughs> yeah, he shows up and he's just like, I'm here to save the day. He's like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. You know what I'm saying? And the movie kind of treats him with like a little bit of awe and reverence and the way he speaks and talks to people. And treat Williams, dude. God, I know we're going to praise everybody uh, accordingly, but fucking treat Williams, dude. I'm so sad he's gone. He was so great. Yeah, he was. It's It sucks. And he's he's great in this. He's only in it so much, but I mean, you know, 
you, you can't put them in it more. <laughs> yeah. They should just shoehorn them in a little bit just to do it. Um, you know, and honestly, like, I, obviously, again, I haven't read the book, but this is what a 93 minute movie. Yeah. And I have to imagine this could have been two hours easily. And oh, there's easy. plenty of stuff that they probably could have included. But, but again, uh, the, the nature of the movie is it's basically just dumping information at you. Mm-hmm. And I think they were like, you know, and probably rightfully so, people will. You know, they're not going to want to go that far. <laughs> sure. I mean, but then again, for people like us, again, the super geeks who are into the behind the scenes and inside baseball, I would watch two hours of this shit. Yeah. And again, I had never seen this before. I, I knew that it existed. Obviously, it was it was kind of a big deal. One of the things when it came out, it was a big deal was that uh, Letterman was really annoyed by it. I don't know what he thought about the book, but I remember him criticizing the guy that plays him in the movie. Right. And I even I looked at some stuff today, and I saw where he um, he invited Higgins on to his late show, and Higgins declined. And then after the movie came out, and it wasn't specific, so I'm not sure if it was like shortly after the movie came out or if it was a few years later. But he booked him to come on the show then, and then uh, Letterman bumped him, so he never got on, <laughs> which is the real dick move. But but. Dang. What can you say? You know, I talking about John Michael Higgins in the movie. I'll say it again. He's he he needs to be taller. Yeah, he just does, and <laughs> it's it's part of the problem with when you're doing something about real people, and if you're doing it in a time where people, where the people are not just still alive, but are famous to a sense mm-hmm. that a lot of the audience are are can recognize them, are familiar with them visually, what they look like. I know fucking David Letterman is a tall man. You know what I mean? I just yeah. know he is. And when he's staying, you know, Dan Roebuck and Jay, Jay Lennon was not a short guy. Dan Roebuck is just right. I'm not yeah. saying it needs to be a Jack Reacher situation where I'm pissed off because he's not <laughs> six foot five and blonde. What I'm saying is it just, my brain won't let me buy it. It's like if, it's like if I was watching something about Abraham Lincoln and he's short, like my, yeah. I know he's not. I know he's tall. And I didn't ever see Abraham Lincoln on TV, but that's kind of my argument. <laughs> I did see David David Letterman on TV for a long fucking time. I know he's tall. And so watching John Michael Higgins, he's I, I like him as a performer. Obviously, I love the guy. I think he's yeah. remarkably talented. He's hilarious. And he's, I think he does a really good job as Letterman. I like his, his performance. I can't get over the fact that he's too short <laughs> when i'm watching it that's it's distracting to me like leno's makeup but were you, so were you a, a um a fan of letterman i guess in the in the 90s i never really watched much letterman the only talk show i was more a fan of conan i liked letterman i would say i liked him a lot but i wouldn't stop things to go put on letterman mm-hmm. i would notice like oh it's getting almost 11 because his, his show started earlier <laughs> And I'd be like, or, oh, you know, Letterman is on, and I would turn it on. But Conan, I would make sure, you know, I would be ready for Conan. And, yeah, man, Conan's my dude. Conan <laughs> yeah, is I was, my dude. I was there for Team the Coco Conan. for life. Yeah, I was there for the first Conan show because, like, I hadn't, like most people, I was young. But like everybody else, I had no idea who he was. <laughs> and uh, I remember the first episode, we're going to talk about Conan more than anything. <laughs> um, Bob Costas had the next show, which was called Later, I think. Yeah, um, that came on after Conan. Just, Carson fucking Daly. Carson Daly, who is worse than Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. Carson Daly might be the worst late night talk show host I ever seen. I'll take. I have not seen them all. I have not seen them all. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone listening going, "Oh no, this dude's worse." I'll, I'll take your word for it, just like sure. you're telling me. But Carson Daly, dude, God, you, you've heard of anti charisma? Yeah, have you, there you go. He has when he's speaking to someone, he has it. <laughs> what we do in the shadows do you, you ever seen that the energy vampire colin robinson uh i've never watched it but i've heard about that character yeah well i think carson daly's interview style is <laughs> in, uh, energy vampire anyway it, it, if you haven't noticed listeners this this show is about the late shift but also we're just kind of talking about late night and our thoughts on it and woohoo, you know hey come along <laughs> with us for the ride um yeah, no. i, I want to ask you before we go any further sure because you said you hadn't seen this at the time it comes out 1996 i'm sure you're not like I have to see this movie. <laughs> and then in the subsequent years, you know, I'm sure you were like, oh, that might be interesting. But, you know, obviously you never went out of your way now that you have seen it. And being years from removed from the actual events and everything, and Leno and Letterman both being, you know, basically elder statesmen now, what do you think overall as a movie? Yeah, I liked it a lot. And a lot of it is because 
even though I didn't care that much at the time, I do remember this era, you know, and this whole, you, you know, I probably didn't realize that Leno and Letterman had a feud thing going until the book came out. And it started getting talked about more because I just knew Leno took over for Carson. Yeah. But when the book and then the movie came out, obviously it was a, a lot more publicized by then. But, um, yeah, at the time, I didn't really like, I definitely didn't like Leno, and I didn't really care that much about Letterman. I thought he was better than Leno, but I yeah. never watched him a lot, so I it liked wasn't something him. that interested me that much. Yeah, I liked him and didn't really care for Leno. That was about it. I wasn't a huge fan of Dave like a lot of people were. He, you know? he seemed like he really hit with maybe a people, like you're, I think you're five years older than me, Yeah, and probably people four or five years older than you were the big Leno. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That seems to be the case. They were all older than me, and they fucking loved him. Yeah. It was kind of like how we got with Conan. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? It w- he was weird and smart, and for people who would say, you know, we think we're smart as opposed to stupid, mm-hmm. and we know we're weird. And that's another thing they which they bring up a lot in this in this movie is it's mentioned a few times. We don't know if Letterman's, for lack of a better term, if Letterman's shtick is going to work in an earlier time slot when there's older people watching. Like it seems like, and it's the same conversation they had about Conan. Yeah. 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 He and and Conan are, are much in this. I mean, they, they're working the same side of the street, but they're not in the same house at all. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're in the same neighborhood. They definitely party in the same neighborhood and that's a cool place to be. You know, Leno's place is for old people who laugh at fucking knock, knock jokes. (laughs) You know, and I know that sounds dismissive and sorry if that makes me an asshole, but it's just, that's the truth as I see it. It's, and there is a place for it. I know Jay Leno made a lot of people laugh for a long time and he made them really happy. I'm not taking that away from him. You can't. He made a lot of people happy. I don't know fucking how. I don't get it. (laughs) But just because I don't get something doesn't mean it isn't valid. I, that I do know. And just because I think he acted kind of shitty with Conan <laughs> and I bet he acted kind of shitty with Dave. Now here's the thing. There are people who deny it. There are people who admit it. And I've heard that at different times, Jay has both denied and admitted it. Do you think he really was in the closet? I don't know that. That was one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Uh, and now we're not talking about him being gay. No, 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 no. Listen, him hiding in a closet to spy on a, a high level executive meeting yeah. uh, concerning whether they were going to let him keep the show or, or, uh, hand it over to, to Letterman. But um, I hope it's true. That would make me respect him a lot more. <laughs> uh, so who knows? I mean, I have to assume he did get the information somehow, whether it was yeah. by spying himself or by somebody else giving him inside info. But yeah. Now, a lot of people do say, and this is a great way to get into this, Jay Leno, and again, from the book that I read, the other book, and then from this movie, which is also based on a book by the same author, and I'm assuming has much the same portrait of Leno. Leno seemed mostly like a guy who just wanted to get along. Yeah. Get along, go along, didn't want to start a fight. But kind of a nice guy, and in some yeah, ways... Mostly a nice guy, but like sometimes yeah. would do kind of underhanded shit, like if it seemed easy to do, like for him, and it benefited him. Like, it's like he could... You know, like anybody, he was an entertainer. I mean, like anybody has an ego. He's an entertainer, so you have to multiply that by, like, what the fuck ever. His ego is what it is. And it manifests itself later in his career. Like you pointed out, he didn't want to give up The Tonight Show. That was a gig he liked. He liked being the host of The Tonight Show. And I think that all that aside, most of the time, he was the kind of guy who just went along. But he definitely had no problem, I don't think, for the most part, with his agent, Alan Kushnick being the bad guy. I think Jay Leno liked the opportunity to be the good guy and having the bad guy in his corner to do yeah. the dirty work for him. Until, of course, you know, it looked like she was going to fuck his <laughs> career. Yeah. Now, that's uh, that's an interesting thing, too, about the book. Kushnick did sue, I don't know if it was just the author or the publisher or whatever, but he, she sued for libel. I think specifically. I think she uh, kind of had to. Because <laughs> I think yeah, the book she, comes out and portrayed as not a particularly flattering. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people could see it, see it like her as being just an aggressive on her on behalf of her client, and yeah. she does uh, point out in the movie, and I'm sure she goes into it in more detail in the book that if she was a guy doing all that shit, no one would say a mm-hmm. fucking word because it would just be business, right? I believe the the libel suit was specifically about them claiming she planted the story. Uh, in the post. Yeah, about Johnny. And it was settled, and 
I believe it was settled in 96 was the same year that, uh, unfortunately, she died of cancer. Yeah. So I, I do kind of wonder if it was like, well, let's just, it, <laughs> I mean, there was, it was settled out of court. So maybe it was because uh, <laughs> they didn't want to look bad <laughs> taking uh, someone who was on their deathbed practically to court over it. Who knows? Yeah. And again, I feel like the book comes out. And like any any book of this nature comes out and it will achieve a certain notoriety. Sometimes it's brief. They only talk about it for a week or whatever. It's different now because things only have so long a shelf life and then we move on to the next thing. But you'll never eat lunch in this town again. The Julia Phillips book, all that shit. They, yeah, they would yeah. come out and people would talk about them. This comes out and everyone's talking about Helen Kushnick and they're saying you planned the story about Johnny. And if she doesn't do anything, she's basically admitting that she did. And maybe she did, but... She didn't want to admit she did. She didn't want people to look at her and go, well, she didn't fucking fight it. So she's got to sue them, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just for just for looks, if nothing else. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, what I was saying, just basically, she is the shark that a lot of people say, if, if it wasn't for her, Jay would not have gotten that job. And you could say it's specifically because of the Post story. You could say it's about all the shit she did, that she bullied people into just mm-hmm. doing things her way, which included making Jay the replacement for Johnny Carson. Do you think that she is mostly responsible for that? At least as the story as we are being told it. It's hard. I mean, kind of, as far as what the movie portrays. Well, what I'm saying is, do you believe that what the movie portrays, understanding that there is going to be some of it that's bullshit? You know, they are, they're not trying to claim it's straight reporting the way that the Bill Carter book was claiming it was straight reporting. This is a movie, but it is based on a piece of straight reporting and it's trying to mostly tell the real story so do you what i'm asking is do you believe the way the movie portrays it is mostly true it seems like it probably is because she was seemingly much more aggressive and the 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 letterman camp and again this is just you know based on what i see in the movie it's a lot less aggressive a lot more passive and just kind of hoping that (laughs) that letterman's going to inherit the job because that's what everybody expected and i think yeah i think letterman's camp just kind of assumed it was theirs and all they i mean he was was even they just kind of didn't do anything it was in letterman they even mentioned it was in letterman's contract that he would get the show and if he didn't there would be a penalty but like it was salt potatoes they weren't gonna and it was like a million bucks i think (laughs) and And they were going to pay that rather than take a, their second choices. Exactly. Again, a- you know, contract shit, inside baseball shit. And that makes some people's eyes glaze over. I just <laughs> want to make sure I'm being clear about that because I don't want to – because some people, I think, because of the way – you know, especially because of the way Roebuck looks in that fucking makeup, they think it's a comedy. And there's yeah. definitely stuff that's funny. Yeah. You know, some of the dialogue is is – devastatingly funny in the way that Veep was funny because people were just destroying each other in the most profane fashion and you just wanted to applaud. Yeah, I was Um, thinking Kevin Dunn would have really fit in well in this movie. Damn. Oh, what if Armando (laughs) Iannucci did The War for Late Night? What if he's the one who adapted that and did it as like a three-episode limited series? (laughs) Speaking it into the universe, let's make it happen. Uh, So, yeah, so you liked it. You liked it. You thought it was Oh, yeah, I did, definitely. One other thing I wanted to bring up about one other cast member that was definitely bordering on the just doing an impression (laughs) was uh, Master Impressionist Rich Little playing Carson in this. I'm really, really intrigued by your use of language here (laughs) because you said it's bordering on an impression and then you introduce – Rich Little yeah. is master impressionist. <laughs> he is a master impressionist, if you want to call it that. He's he he's famous for that. We'll yeah. say that. I, I wish they had gotten somebody else just yes. because he was clearly just doing a Carson bit. And it's good. It's a good Carson, but it's not really Carson. And it's just like he was doing – he's worried more about the mannerisms and everything. I found that kind of distracting. I think uh, it's super distracting, and I do wish they'd have gotten somebody else – I think he's good because, I mean, he's only in it so much. And it's really there just for recognition because anybody at the time who was interested in all this would know that Rich Little is famous for doing an, an impersonation of Johnny Carson. So the fact that they got him is just like a recognition. Ah, oh, Rich Little. Of course you get Rich Little. Of course. And, you know, it just kind of makes people smile or feel comfortable or whatever the fuck. I never thought his Johnny was any great shakes in the sense <laughs> that every time I saw it all, uh, that's the thing. Every time... I was exposed to his his impression. I was watching it. And it might be different if I heard it over the radio or something. Because his voice, the way he captures the inflection and whatnot, it's not bad. I can't say that. He definitely does that. But he just, 
Bro, <laughs> you don't look like Johnny Carson, man. He just doesn't make me think of Johnny Carson. I don't care if he's wearing a wig. I don't care if he goes up on his toes. <laughs> I don't care if he puts his hands behind his back like Johnny did. I, I don't care what he does that makes people think of Carson. I always thought it was just okay. Now, obviously, I am not in the majority on this in terms of people who have thoughts on Rich Little's impression of Johnny Carson. Because most people nowadays don't really give a shit about that. But anybody who does, generally, most people are like, yeah, Rich Little's awesome. That's why people... Fucking love Rich Little. It's mostly his Johnny Carson, I think. Yeah, I mean, I know he does other impressions, but that seems like it's the big one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because yeah, it's the, the most I don't mean person. to, I don't want to fuck. The guy's had a job because of it or had a job because of it for a long fucking time. I mean, hey, get your bag, bro. I'm not trying to fucking <laughs> step on his hustle or anything. It's just, I, I was never a fan of it like a lot of people were. And it's kind of funny because I do like this movie and I think everybody in it is either good or really good. But yet the three main talk show guys, Leno, letterman and carson what does aj have to say he bitches about it mostly (laughs) (laughs) yeah but really i do think they all do good work i'm well not little i can't really get behind little um (laughs) but higgins and roebuck i like a lot actually i do like i said the makeup is both very good and kind of fucked up uh and higgins is is acting he's doing his best to do a david letterman character to like really do a david letterman not a not an impersonation I was hoping to see more Ed Begley Jr. because I like him, but <laughs> he really only has a couple things. I want to see more Ed Begley Jr. <laughs> what would not benefit from more Ed Begley Jr., I ask you? Nothing. Not Nothing this is the answer. <laughs> but yeah, the, the two main execs, Bob Balaban and Rennie Santoni, these are Seinfeld guys to me. <laughs> uh, they both had uh, recurring uh, roles on Seinfeld. I know you're not a fan of, of Seinfeld, but... Um, not so much. Ba- uh, Balaban, he's in a lot of those... Um, Christopher Guest, yeah, he's become a, a repertory player for Wes Anderson. Bob Bob Balaban has been around. I mean, I've seen that dude in movies for days. He even directed a horror movie called Parents back in '89 with Randy. Oh, I didn't Reed. know that. Yeah, he directed that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I and keeping it. It's the weird. Watch. It's bet. weird and <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, it lets you know that Bob is a little weirder than we are all aware of, in a good way. I mean, that is a, as yeah. a positive. Yeah, um, and his his uh, his character on Seinfeld, which was probably. Around the time they were making this, it was also as an NBC executive, which was a different character. I think he might have been playing the president of NBC. But anyway, uh, and Santori, or Santoni, I should say. I only think I know, there's another big movie he's in, right? From like the 80s? Yeah, I can't quite think of it right now. I know him from tons of TV and shit from that era. That When I was growing up, he was in everything. You know, a lot of supporting parts. A lot of cop stuff. Okay, Cobra is what I was thinking of. Oh, okay, yeah. And he's is also, he I guess, in is Dirty he... Harry. Yeah, uh, one of I'm... the dead partners, I think. Yeah, I'm assuming he was, uh, he was the cop in uh, Cobra. Yeah, I've only seen that once, and it was a few years ago. Um, I'm going to bet he's like Stallone's uh, supervisor, supervising officer who doesn't appreciate his tactics. Probably. <laughs> yeah, his um, lieutenant or whatever. You know, that's what I'm just saying. Is that so? Um, apparently, he, this is interesting. He, I'm looking at his Wikipedia, and unfortunately, he passed away in 2020. Damn. He uh, was had a long term relationship with actress and director Betty Thomas, who is the director of this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, but yeah, I liked both <laughs> of them. Uh, I really want to call out John Capellos, or I, I think I'm saying his name right. He's one of the people yeah. on the Letterman camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Best known to me for all his supporting roles in John Hughes Land, which means I'm sure he's a Chicago actor. Because if you are in multiple John Hughes projects, you are generally <laughs> a Chicago native. Or looks like uh, Second City's. Yeah, uh, Chicago. Off-Broadway run, Orwell, that ends well. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm just looking over his That's cool. His pages. Uh, I just really like him. because I mean, because I grew up watching John Hughes movies, and he was in pretty much all of them. Whenever he would show up in anything else, I would always, you know, I'm Leo DiCaprio on the couch pointing, that fucking guy. I just, I really like him. And I do. I did that when I rewatched The Late Shift, you know, in my head. I point, oh, that guy. Yeah, everybody's really good in it. I wanted to note that George Armitage, the guy who wrote it, is a writer-director who's only done a handful of things. He directed John Cusack's script that we all know and love, uh, Gross Point Blank. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's and, one of my favorite movies. That movie kicks ass. Yeah, and he wrote and directed a movie that I made sure you had access oh, to. Oh, yeah. Uh, Miami Blues. Blues. Yes. Those are his only two? Directorial? Oh, he's, he's got No, he's, he's directed more stuff, but I mean, that's the, the ones that readily come to mind i don't think he's done much more than that he started as a writer in the corman stable if i'm correct yeah i'm looking at his 
filmography, selected filmography, it says. And the last thing he did was The Big Bounce in 2004. Oh, yeah, the Owen Wilson, uh, Elmore Leonard adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been around. And I just find it funny that he those other he did those other movies, but he's the one they hired to do the late shift adaptation. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> well, okay. I think he did a really good job. Sure. I think it works as a movie, as a story with characters and a beginning, middle, and end and everything. Again, I, I, it sounds like I, I'm trying to scare people off the movie. I just don't... <laughs> I just don't want anyone to to feel like I, I wouldn't watch this because you said it was this, and I feel like you misrepresented it. I you can't fucking say I did that. I'm not That's doing that. True. I am this telling you in advance. This is definitely different than than most of the made for TV and direct video fare that we yeah uh, it is. Host on. It does like I'm saying. It does work as a story, as a piece of drama with characters and whatnot. But it's Lots just funny stuff in it. Exactly, exactly. But it's not like Miami Blues or, you know, fucking Gross Point Blank or, you know, anything else Betty Betty Thomas did. She did the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts. We don't blame her for that. She also did the the first Brady Bunch movie, and I love that. It's just just a bit different. Produced Can't Hardly Wait. I can't overlook that. Yeah. And and she got her start as an actress in Hill Street Blues. I mean, that's where I knew her from as an actress. I recognize her. It's. I think this is a good movie. And I think if you do have an interest in these kind of things, you're going to like it. But before we do just kind of wrap it up, tell me what you think about the, uh, the, the queen of all things, <laughs> Kathy Bates, as Helen Kushnick. Yeah. I mean, the best she, for last. Yeah. I, I mean, I think she definitely steals the movie. The character has the most dominant personality, obviously, of anybody in the movie. And it looks like she won several awards for it. Looks like Directors Guild of America, American Comedy Awards, Golden Globes. Oh, yeah. I have to imagine that when her agent told her they're sending over a script for this Leno Letterman movie, you're going to be playing Leno's agent, Alan Kushnick. If you do, and this is before she even read the script, they probably said, if you do this and it's even halfway competent, you're going to get nominated for every fucking award <laughs> there is. Yeah. Because they knew that Kathy Bates could just knock that shit out of the park, which she did. She did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think she's great in it. I, I think she definitely ums, bumps the energy levels of the movie every time she's on screen. Yeah, I mean, she... Yeah, I, that's a good way to put it because she has just her, her character just has more oomph and and energy than anybody else in the movie, and she's, she's the kind of it's, it's I, always I a conflict, <laughs> even when she's yeah. dealing with Jay, you know, who she's looking out for and, and kind of fighting for. Like almost every scene she's in, there's some kind of conflict, and she's trying to dominate the conversation and force her will on <laughs> on other people. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, dominant is the best way to put it. A very dominant personality. I mean. And that's the thing. Sometimes watching people like that can be fun or entertaining on screen, but you would not want to be in a room with them for more than five seconds for any point in your life because they suck all the oxygen out of the room. They just take up everything because they they enter the room and suddenly they are the center of attention. They have to be. They demand it. And she's very much like that. And you give a a character actress like Kathy Bates who can ham it up if you ask her to do it or if she understands the material needs it. I think a lesser actress would have would have chewed scenery in a way that would have been detrimental to the movie. I think the way she came in and was big felt like it was entertaining. Like it was fun to watch her just come in and just destroy everybody. But I never felt like she was going over the top. I felt like sometimes Helen was going over the top to make her point yeah, or like that she wanted to be showy or, you know, fucking shock people or whatever. But again, that all feels like character choices. In the story itself, not things that Kathy is choosing because she wants to go big. She's doing it because that's what Helen did. I think she's brilliant. You know, it it seems like the kind of thing that a lot of people might look at on the outside and go, oh, she's just yelling a lot. That's not acting. That's easy to do. But I think she actually makes it play as a real person. She only gets so much to do that, I think. The stuff with Jay, I think, is when you see some of her coming out and not being able to understand why other people can't just let her do what she knows is best for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You like, know. uh, you know, one more pot shot at Leno, you know, uh, he, uh, um, when push comes to shove, he kicks her to the curb and he does. Uh, keeps the show, uh, and lets them fire her as the executive producer, which, you know, to be fair, I guess that she was overstepping, at least as the way it's portrayed in this movie. Yeah. She really, truly was. Yeah, and it's hard to know, like, in, in real life, like, they have to make it this fit into a 90-minute movie, so exactly. how much were they trying to let her, to make her compromise, and, and how hard-headed was she being? Because in the movie, it's kind of, 
the executives are like, she's gone too far. It, there was this, a particular moment where she's being really pushy with uh, some reps from Travis Tritt, right? The country singer. Oh, and, God. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to push him off other show, another show, Arsenio, yeah. maybe, doing yeah, the yeah, night, yeah. night show instead. And he didn't like it and went to the press about it. And he that's did. when it kind of all blew up. And the executives didn't really give Leno much of a shot or give her much of a chance to settle down. I guess they offered her a, a different contract. They just wanted to take life. the power away from her because she was kind of going mad with power. Right. And just a side note, something that when you watch it now, you're always going to get little signifiers that, you know, it's, it's a period piece now because it's set in the 90s. When it came out, it was only literally like just a couple of years after the actual events had happened so it was more mm-hmm. or less contemporary but it's nuts to watch it now and have them talk about something like the arsenio hall show as this huge cultural yeah. force like this giant thing and it's like fuck that's right it really was <laughs> it really really was for a little bit there and and speaking of other talk show talk shows like that talk show from this era i had no knowledge of this but i looked it up after the i watched the movie or while i was watching the movie where apparently uh, Pat Sajak had a yeah. short-lived late-night talk show. It lasted uh, a little bit to... longer than the Chevy Chase show, but not by much. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, apparently it was a huge disaster. And it was supposed to be the CBS's original competitor, I guess, at the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was a, a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. And so Pat Sajak went back to Wheel of Fortune. Um, that he did. And that's when I think they decided to throw the store at David Letterman. <laughs> uh, but I just thought that was an interesting... Uh, Side note, because I, I had never heard of that before. Uh, it's before. nuts. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you it, know, most of us forget it. Well, I mean, it happened when I was like nine years old, so I, I probably would have not have been paying attention to that. Here's the thing. Unlike about, Chevy Chase like, Show, which came out when I was like 12 and uh, yeah. knew who Chevy Chase was and watched a lot of his movies and stuff. There's there's a few that crashed and burned really hard. Pat Sajak, Chevy, The Magic Johnson Show. Oh, talking man. about basketball <laughs> because he he just ended up falling back on basketball. I remember it was funny, but yeah, that that whole time it's just really interesting to watch art from the time or about the time and just remembering shit. Arsenio Hall was a thing. Pat Sajak got a shot at late night. <laughs> you know, they gave him a show. What? Well, the fuck? I mean, what? Pat and Chuck Woolery said no. What? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. So yeah, this came out in '96, and uh, everything happened with the. Carson leaving in 92, I think. So this would have been four years later. That would be like a movie now coming out about something that happened, well, shit, at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was it was definitely of the time when it came out. But that's pretty much all I got on The Late Shift. Uh, I did like this movie quite a bit. It was uh, an interesting – I mean, it really is kind of a time capsule now. And it's a cool look at the inside of TV networks in the, in the early 90s. And – that's not going to be for everybody, but I think it's interesting. And it, it kind of made me want to read the book even more, <laughs> having having watched this. But um, that's pretty much all I got for Late Shift. Do you got anything else before we move to top three stuff? Uh, no, other than I'm completely on board with what you said. I think it's really good if you were interested in this stuff or, you know, the era, showbiz, all that stuff. Everybody in it is good. Aside from Rich Little, but, you know, we talked about that. Yeah, I I was really happy to revisit it, and uh, it was nice. Like you said, it's not the usual fare that we talk about here. But, I mean, obviously, when we're doing direct-to-video, there's no way to get away from genre stuff, you know, action and horror especially. Yeah. And that's always going to be our bread and butter because we love our genre stuff. That's our that's our sweet spot. But this is really good, and I'm glad that we can recommend it to anyone that might be listening and think, oh, that does sound like something I might want to check out because it is really good, y'all. It is really good. Agreed. So for top three, you kind of sprung it on me a couple hours I ago. I kind of sprung it on you. <laughs> you, you. You let me know that I had forgotten to come up with a top three for these. So we're going to do top three Kathy Bates performances because she is the scene stealer from this flick. And she's, I mean, easily the biggest name in this movie. And so there's a lot, that's a lot of what we got I mean, to choose from. It's her and then there's Treat Williams. Yeah. And, of course, the boss from Hey Dude, the Nickelodeon show. Sure. <laughs> Who played one of the network heads. I forget which one. But um, anyway, top three Kathy Bates performances is what I went with. You can do either one, but uh, what do you got? Well, I would have to go with uh, – you're going to laugh at me, but I love her in The Water Boy. Okay, okay. I love her in The Water Boy. She's good. Talking about the devil. 
Mm-hmm. And the uh, is Vicky Valancourt. She's the best. I love her. She makes me laugh. I'm so glad that she did it and that she took it seriously. You know, I mean, in the sense that, you know, I'm going to play a character and I'm just going to do it and I'm going to have fun, you know, which is cool. So, yeah, that's my number three. My number two might surprise people, but as much, you know, melodramatic bullshit it is, it, it is a good movie. And I think she's really good in it. She's good in uh, fried green tomatoes, y'all. Mm. It is what it is. She's good. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. She's got uh, good like, uh, Yeah, and it's not like I'm some like secret fanny flag fucking super fan or anything <laughs> like that. But it's I watched that movie quite a bit when it came out. You know, it was just one that my mom and my sister always wanted to have on. And uh, I'm sure I resisted it at first. The first time it came on, I was like, oh, fucking come on. But then I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, you know, this is cool. And and I, I'm positive it gave me a little crush on Mary Louise Parker, which is never a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was like, oh, it's Kathy Bates. And she's really good. So I'm going to say Fried Green Tomatoes is my number two. And my number one, shocking absolutely no one who knows anything <laughs> about me, is Misery. Mm-hmm. What do I need to tell you about Kathy Bates and Misery? She's Annie Wilkes. She's Paul Sheldon's number one fan. Yes. Misery Chastain cannot be dead. She's going to go play her Liberace records. You know, she's just... She's amazing in that. They cast her in that because nobody knew her. They had talked to Bette Midler for a period of time. They were talking about doing Warren Beatty as Paul and Shirley MacLaine as Annie Wilkes, brother and sister. But I don't know if that was anything more than actual talk, like a dream team that they wanted to do, or if it was, you know, actual conversations they were having with them. But I know what William Goldman said, and he told Rob Reiner, because he knew Kathy Bates from the sage, he said, I think Kathy Bates would kill this part. I'm writing it for her. Not necessarily meaning that he's expecting that's who's going to get cast. He's a writer. He'd been doing it for years at that point. He doesn't harbor any illusions that he has casting decisions. Mm -hmm. But he meant that's who he's going to see in his head when he writes it. So he's writing it for to play. And all Rob Reiner said was apparently, oh, she's great. We'll use her. And then that was that. But Goldman said he didn't want to write it for a star because you had to believe that she was going to kill Paul. You had to believe Paul was in real danger. And he's like, I'm sorry, but there's no way that Meryl Streep is going to do those things. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that Meryl Streep, when she's walking around the bed, kind of Kathy Bates is flicking lighter fluid on him casually, conversationally. And she's, without saying it, she's threatening to set him on fire. He's like, if Meryl Streep is doing that, there's no way I fucking believe she's going to set James Conn on fire. She's just not. And... An unknown like Kathy Bates in that part, complete unknown commodity. She could do anything. And the way Kathy Bates played it, you believe she could fucking do that shit. And that's just one of the reasons why it worked. The main reason, obviously, being Kathy Bates is Kathy Bates. And she had done, I think, just a lot of theater up until that point, a couple small parts before that. And she knew she had her shot. And she took her swing. She connected the fuck out of it. (laughs) And she won Best Actress for it. So... Yeah, I kind of have to go with Misery. <laughs> I have to assume you're going to, too. Uh, yeah, well, let's look at our list. Uh, <laughs> actually, I have two. Two sounds of Chris frantically scribbling out what he wrote <laughs> and putting Misery in number one going, God damn, he, he made a good point. He argued his point too well. No, I've, I've got two years on there. I also went with The Waterboy. Excellent. Which, for a long time, was Adam Sandler's last Wait, wait, wait. So you went with Waterboy and Fried Green Tomatoes? You didn't put Misery on there? I'm shocked at you, Christopher. I'm shocked. I've never Unless seen in like... some world you did not put Fried Green Tomatoes on there. But, dude, you, how many times have I told you, shut the fuck up about Fried Green Tomatoes, Chris? How many times do I tell you that? I know you love that, so I'm just, I'm shocked. I, I've actually never seen Fried Green Tomatoes. I've seen... Uh... <laughs> The trailer, which is why I know about the insurance thing. True. Um, but yeah, I don't even really know what Fried Green Tomatoes is about. Uh, Jessica Tandy in that as well? She is. She's okay. really good. I, uh, I have no idea if you'd like it. It is a good movie, but I mean, yeah. you never know. Anyway, I, I apologize for uh, hijacking that with uh, <laughs> you know claims that you love Fried Green Tomatoes. This is not true, people. No, uh, The Waterboy, pretty, uh, pretty awesome. I haven't seen it in a long time, but... That was, you know, the the peak of Adam Sandler's clout, probably. So, you know, if he wants to get a big Oscar winner uh, in his wacky comedy, they're probably going to do it because it's going to make a lot of money and they're going to have fun and not have to worry too much about it. And she's really funny in The Waterboy. About Schmidt is another one I got here. The Pain. With Jack Nicholson. She is great in the movie. So is Janet. That's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson uh, performances, really. And I haven't watched it in a long time, but I really loved that movie when it came out. 
and I thought she was great in it as well. And then, of course, Misery. No, not kind of a no-brainer. Uh, it's it's a great movie. It's uh, her. If she doesn't, it's it's like the Tonight Show thing. If she doesn't star in Misery, we are not sitting here talking about Kathy Bates. Not no. this way. No. Not the way we are. Faux show. See, I, don't, I mean, you kind of you, you put it well. I don't really have anything else to add to what you said. I'm sorry. She's I took, great all in it. It. I took all of it from you, Christopher. No, all good. I mean, I would like to talk more about her performance in About Schmidt, but honestly, it's been 15 years probably since I've seen it. <laughs> I just remember mostly that I like her and Nicholson and Dermot Mulroney <laughs> in it. And I gotta say, I haven't seen a ton of her other movies, really. Like, I've seen a handful, but like those are the ones that really stand out in those three for me. So I guess that's it. That's all I got on the top three. Um, you want to talk about some recent stuff we've watched before we roll out? Um, recently saw The Holdovers. Okay. It's one of the best movies I've seen in years. That's really all I want to say about it because <laughs> I just want people to watch it. Yep. I just want people to watch it. It's on, fuck, is it on Peacock right now? I believe it is on Peacock. It's Peacock. It's just a brilliant work. Speaking of Alexander Payne, uh, the guy who did About Schmidt, it's just brilliant. And I love it. And I love Paul Giamatti in it. I love Dominic Sessa in it. I love... Divine Joy Randolph, I think her name is. She's brilliant in it. It's just a great movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And that's really all I'll say for now. Yeah, I uh, I have not seen it yet. I w- I'm excited to watch it. And it's on my list on Peacock. I've got a handful of movies from uh, of the big movies from last year that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet that just dropped on Apple. So yeah, yesterday. I'm to so I'm yeah. hoping to watch that soon. Um, uh, yeah, I've gotten to a few recently, and I'm, I'm hoping to get to a few more uh, in the next couple weeks. But, um, well, it's worth it. You got to do it, dude. Please do. Uh, as far as I've it. seen recently, going back a little ways, I uh, I rewatched an, um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I didn't care m- as much for when I watched it for the first time, maybe ten or twelve years ago. And I'm just going to be honest, I still don't think it's very good. Uh, that's a movie that a lot of people love, and it's, you are talking it's to one of them. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I thought so. <laughs> a lot of people consider it one of the best of the of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which to me is on a very high bar, uh, to be honest, because I think there's only a, a couple of good ones. Just burning bridges today with all <laughs> our listeners, Chris. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I just didn't think it was that great. And Heather Langenkamp, I like Heather Langenkamp. I don't think she got that much better from the first <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street movie to this one. And... I don't know. I just people hate us. I feel like it's a movie with a lot of cool ideas. But uh, one thing I did really like was the attack on the girl in the hospital that kind of mimicked the first kill from the first movie. Uh, Some of the practical effects are really cool. Some of them are really, really, really bad. So, yeah, I did like Freddy open up his giant mouth to try and eat the kid at the end. That was cool. Mm. So there were cool things in it. But overall, I I just it's just not for me. I like uh, one, three, and four. I think that's about my. Those are those are the Nightmare on Elm Street movies I like. Around Christmas time, I watched on Shutter. It's a Wonderful Knife. Have you seen that one yet? I have. Which I felt really stupid because it was about halfway through the movie when I realized, oh, this is a Wonderful Life parody. I thought it was just named that because it sounded like a Christmas movie. Uh, but it, no, it's actually um, sort of doing the same thing uh, as the classic It's a Wonderful Life. And I thought it was really good. I liked Justin Long's Weird Teeth. Uh, the lead was really good. I liked the design of the killer's costume. Got a little trippy at the end with the town being under a spell or whatever was going on there. Spoilers, I should probably say. There's some spoilers here. But I really liked it. I thought it was really good, and it's probably going to be a frequent Christmas watch. Maybe not every year, but I liked it a lot. What, what do you think of it? I liked it, and I wish I loved it, because I did okay. not love it. I loved Bernie. The lead? Uh, no, no. The character that they were trying to save, ultimately. Oh, okay. Uh, I I really liked that character a lot. I I liked some of it. Some of it was just bad, I thought. Um, (laughs) And I was really surprised because I know it's written by the guy who did Freaky, uh, Michael Kennedy. And we've talked about this recent thing where they're doing, you know, uh, Totally Killers, Back to the Future. Happy Death Day to you is Groundhog Day. Freaky is Freaky Friday and Friday the 13th. And this is A Wonderful Life. And I was all for it. I was like, yes, let's do it with all these movies. And... I would just give it a simple three out of five because I did like it. Yeah. But I was hoping for like I gave, I would give Totally Killer four out of five, and I was hoping for that. Justin Long was fun. 
like you said, his teeth are definitely, they should have gotten a credit alongside him. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm far enough away from it now. I can't remember the specific nitpicks I had. Yeah. I think, I think it was just certain things like, oh, I remember being really surprised at the, at, at the directing, thinking that it just was, it should have been better. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was just like, maybe this is this person's first movie. Kind and it's the guy who did Tragedy Girls. Oh, I didn't like and that movie at all. <laughs> I love Tragedy Girls. And I thought this was, it just didn't feel like it was directed by the same guy. Gosh, what else was it? I do remember I was having problems with that. I was um, taken aback at the direction it went uh, once she realized there was still a killer and the, the original killer was not the killer anymore. Like there was a lot of weird stuff. And I thought in, in some of the, the little twists in the, in the second half, I liked it. Some of them I didn't, but yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't know. I just didn't like it as much as I hoped I would. Sure. Um, I don't think it's a bad movie, and I I am glad it seems to be. For a lot of people, they're definitely going to be watching it every single Christmas, you know? And that's cool. Get a new holiday classic in every year. <laughs> well, um, another holiday classic I caught was L.A. Confidential. It's a Christmas movie. Yes. Bloody Christmas. Yes, indeed. <laughs> The, the plot hinges on Christmas, basically. I mean, just one of the best movies ever made, as far as I'm concerned. If I, I've never really made a top 10 for my all-time favorite movies, but it would be on there for certain. It's just incredible, I think. And it's one of the few that I feel like get better every time I watch them. And it pains me to say it, uh, Kevin Spacey, dirtbag that he may be, it might be my favorite Kevin Spacey performance he he's really good in it and of course russell crowe and guy pierce also uh, are, are great in it but just an incredible movie i'm sure you've seen it many 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 times <laughs> i saw it in the theater by myself no one no one that i called that night was interested mm-hmm. I, I mean that's usually how it happened i couldn't get a hold of anybody who might be interested in the people i could get a hold of were like what is that and i tell them like ah, nah and i would just end up going by myself and i didn't give a shit that movie is the shit it's a five out of five instant classic. I will always be pissed that Titanic won Best Picture. And it did. <laughs> hey, I love Titanic too, but yeah, it, it LA Confidential should have won. Titanic won because it was a phenomenon, not because it was the Best Picture released that year. You know, but then then again, I mean, it's the same kind of thing to me with Gravity and Twelve Years a Slave. Mm. Twelve Years a Slave won, and I don't mean to sound like some conservative ass. They won because it's woke. <laughs> you know, it's not. But it did. I think it did win because the social aspect did enter into it. It's an important movie. True. It, it's a movie that could be taught in history class or just, you know, school. And and that's a powerful thing. You can't deny that. But my problem with that is, yeah, that's all true, but gravity is the one that would be taught in film school. And to me, that means it's the better film. But there were people who would argue that the film is an experience and all the things that 12 Years a Slave did is just as important. And that's all fine. That's just where we differ. We go down different roads there. <laughs> yeah, I wonder with Gravity, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this that movie a couple, week, couple weeks ago. And I've only seen it the once. It was in the theater in 3D and... I just have no desire to watch it again. It was a cool experience, and but I don't know that I could watch it on my TV at home and really be that into it. But it's a cool movie. Well, it, it definitely is for those of us with a testicular fortitude to watch it at home. <laughs> I mean, I'm not scared of watching it on my TV at home. <laughs> I just don't think no, that no, it's I mean, I, I know that movie was boring to people, too, because it, you know, it's, it's only so involving, especially if you can't get it in a theater. That's the immersive experience, I think, that made it work for a lot of people. I don't know. I I just think that was the best picture that year. I think that's an amazing work of cinema. And yeah, I I think that you and I are fighting now because you (laughs) you do not agree with me on it. Sorry you have to hear this, listeners, but uh, we're having a terrible spat right now. It's terrible. These things happen. They do. (laughs) They do. Last one I got, this one actually is on Tubi now. It's a Tubi original. Oh, shit. If I had waited a week, I could have watched it there instead of running it. But Where the Devil Roams, uh, it's a horror flick from the Adams family, which I did not know much about them until on the last drive-in. They showed Hellbender, which was uh, not their first movie, but the first one I made notice of. It was really interesting. And, you know, Joe Bob had them on the show and talked to him about their process and stuff. And much like Hellbender, Where the Devil Roams is... A really good and interesting movie. It's not super, super entertaining. <laughs> I mean, it is entertaining, but it's not. It's more interesting, I think, than entertaining. And I'm always going to want to watch anything that they do, I think. Say, like Hellbender and Where the Devil Roams both. They're good movies. 
I was entertained by them, but the subject matter and the way the stories develop is more interesting to me than anything. Uh, and especially knowing how that they, how they, their process of how they make their movies and stuff. If anybody who's listening doesn't know the Adams family, they're, it's, um, I guess she's probably like a 20 or 21 year old girl and her parents and they make movies together. They write and direct them themselves do them independently and it's cool that Tubi is distributing this one on on the Tubi streaming service or whatever so you can watch for free with ads check it out <laughs> I didn't know that it showed up yet I'm still waiting I mean not waiting I can do it whenever I want but whenever my wife and I sit down to do it I want to see Hellbender really bad I know that's on Shutter because mm-hmm. I've seen the, the trailer for that and just the trailer before I knew anything about the Adams family the trailer was like shit this looks awesome and then i hear about them like you said the way they do their their work completely independently and it's a whole family deal everyone saw hellbender and said it was really good i'm like oh this is gonna be awesome it comes to shutter and we just haven't gotten to it yet and then this new one comes out i'm like fuck i still haven't gotten to hellbender (laughs) so i will i will definitely do that i will definitely do that and i will do it before you watch a few good men i promise that there, that seems like a safe bet. <laughs> um, I'm sure it is. I think Where the Devil Realms is the better of those two, but they're both for sure worth watching. And I need to, to track down some of their earlier ones that are out there. I don't know if they're available to stream or not. I assume I can probably find them somewhere, but I have not seen their, their earlier movies. But that's pretty much all I got on the recent stuff. Before we get out of here, you want to let people know where they can find you on the internets? Uh, on the internets, I am pretty much only on Blue Sky now. Uh, I deleted my Twitter account because fuck Elon Musk. AJMcCready.bsky.social is where I am. Well, I am also uh, still on Twitter. <laughs> and that's and okay. That's okay. It's, and it's Instagram. good because you're tweeting stuff about our fucking show. Uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Blue Sky, at <laughs> uh, BrodyMan34, Threads, I'm on there. I don't really use that one at all. And I really only use any of them uh, to keep track of the movies I'm watching or the books I'm reading and stuff like that. So, and then the, of course the, the uh, show also has a Twitter and Instagram at small screeners. And I'm also actually on letterbox now, which I'd had an account on there before, which was Brody man 34, but I don't use that one. I use uh, the one I use now is disco shrew on letterbox. He can still boogaloo. So if you're interested in following my, letterbox and look me up on there at, as at, uh, at disco shrew and that's pretty much it we're gonna see you guys back here in a month peace one zero one bravo lima come in over